0: No matter how many or few people we interact with, each individual experience influences us in some way. As Christians, we must be aware of this and surround ourselves with people who are living life as God desires. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. In today's sermon, Mighty Man, we will look at 2 Samuel 23 and the Mighty Man of David and analyze what made these men mighty and how we, like David, are benefited by being in relationship with the right people in God's kingdom. We've seen the impact that relationships can have in this world. There's a virus that's been going around and it's been spread through contact of people, and it all started with one person. And it's kind of interesting when you just think about it, that relationships can put you in a position to where you can either be successful, or you can be failure. They could benefit you, or they could put you in a bad place. And as we think about who we are as Christians, and think about accomplishing something in this life. We realize that nobody accomplishes anything alone. It's in relationships that you accomplish things, that you're successful, that you really obtain the big goals in life that you want to aspire to. And when we just consider that, we realize that God's people need each other to fulfill God's plan because we can't do it by ourselves. But if we allow one person with bad intent to come in and infect everybody else, they could destroy everything that we're working towards. But if people working together with a like-minded to satisfy and glorify God, they could build each other up, even in the most difficult of circumstances. When one reads the story of David, it shows how God provides for David. And the natural inclination of a person who's looking at it without a spiritual mindset would think that as you read Samuel, what you're seeing is David being exalted for the sake of David to be king. But with the spiritual mind, with the understanding of scripture, one would recognize that David's not being exalted just for him to be king. David is being exalted because what God wants is a king who has a heart after him. Because the first experiment of a king failed because Saul didn't seek after the Lord with his whole heart. So God takes the kingdom from him and gives it to somebody else, his neighbor, who will seek after him, which is David. And in understanding it as such, we really see that David was in place to glorify God. And to lead God's people into appreciating and glorifying God and being who God called us all to be. And then also, David was mightily assisted not only by God, but by others in Israel to help him be the king and the king that God wanted him to be. The passage of scripture that we're going to utilize for this sermon is going to be found in 2 Samuel 23. And this passage is actually a list of what some call the mighty man of David, the men that were in David's army that helped him to accomplish the battles, the victories that he had fought to maintain his throne, to be the king that God wanted him to be. And when you read it, you, you see that these people had a great impact because they were all like-minded. They all shared a common faith. And also, that God was working through all of them in this endeavor. And I think there's something to be said about the fact that God, through Scripture, wanted us to see, to recognize, to understand that David wasn't alone. Because usually when we talk about David, we talk about him in the singular. David and Goliath. David and Bathsheba. David as the king. And we don't really consider those other men who was with David that helped him to maintain, to establish, to keep the throne that God had given him. Second Samuel 23, starting at verse number 8. These are the names of the warriors whom David had. Joshua, Bathshebeth, a Teichamite, he was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Next to him among the three warriors was Eleazar, son of Dodo, son of Ahoyhai. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. The Israelites withdrew, but he stood his ground. He struck down the Philistines until his arms grew weary, though his hand clung to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Then the people came back to him, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shama, son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the army fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the middle of the plot, defended it, and killed the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Towards the beginning of harvest three of the thirty chiefs went down to join David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three warriors broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and brought it to David. But he would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord, for he said, The Lord forbid that I should do this. Can I drink the blood of the man who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. The three warriors did these things. Now, Abishai, son of Zeruiah, the brother of Joab, was chief of the 30. With his spear, he fought against 300 men and killed them and won a name besides the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant warrior from Kesbiel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he killed an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benahiah went against him with a staff, snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. Such were the things that Benahiah, son of Jehoiada, did, and won a name besides the three warriors. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Among the thirty was Asahel, brother of Joab. Elhana son of Dodah of Bethlehem, Shammah of Herod, Elikah of Herod, Helez the Peltite, Ira son of Akesh of Tekoa, Abiezer of Anathoth, Mabunai the Heshathite, Zalman the Ahohite, Mahariah the Netophah, Heleb son of Banna, of Niphtophah, Ittai son of Rabbi of Gibeah of the Benjamites, Benaiah of Piroth, Hadiah of the Torrents of Gash, Abialon the Arabite, Asmavah of Burum, Eliaba of Shalbom, the sons of Jason, Jonathan, son of Shammah the Herite, Eheim, son of Sharrar the Herite, Eliphelet, son of Ahazbel of Maacah, Eliam, son of Ahiphatel, the Gileonite, Hezra of Carmel, Pariah the Arbite, Agai, son of Nathan Azoba. Benai the Gadite, Zelak the Ammonite, Nahari of Beroth, the armor bearer of Joab son of Zeruiah, Ira the Erthite, Gerob the Erthite, Uriah the Hittite. Thirty-seven in all. David was surrounded by mighty men, like-minded men as him, who possessed the same faith. And their relationship together allowed David to reign on the throne of Israel because they were all mightily helped by God. And they were all willing to do what God wanted them to do so that Israel, the kingdom, could be what God wanted it to be. You know what separated them? Just their roles. They all had faith. They all were courageous. Men fighting lions? Men fighting 800 at one time? 300 at one time? They just had a different role, but the same faith. And God did something through all of them. He brought about their success. You see, David and Goliath, Dodo, Shama, there's no difference in these men. They all knew that if they step out, even by themselves, in a great adversarial position, that God would grant them a victory. As a boy, he fights a giant. As a soldier, he goes against 800, 300, a lion, and they're not scared because they all had something in common. And that relationship that they had with each other built each other up, I believe. So that they wouldn't be scared. So that they could do what God called them all to do. And we recognize that when we stand with God, even if nobody else is around us, we will be victorious. No matter what is in front of us. And David's mighty man knew this. And David did as well. But there's a few of these Stories, a few of these names that, that just jump out as us, and I think it causes for a pause to look at just a little bit more in depth. The first one that I want to consider, because this will springboard us into the other interesting things in this passage, but verse 13. Towards the beginning of harvest, three of the 30 chiefs went down to join David at the cave of Adullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. If you remember, this is the same place where David was when Saul was uh, chasing him. And David cut off a piece of his garment and let him know, I'm not trying to kill you. But what's also interesting is this is about 10 miles from the gate of that Bethlehem. Just imagine that. They're 10 miles from Bethlehem's gate where this water is at. And David, and I don't think that he was asking them to get the water. But I think he was just saying, because he had that level of relationship with this man, that he could be open and say, oh man, I wish I could taste some of that water from that well at Bethlehem at the gate, almost as if if you was away from home and you said, man, I wish I could just taste some of my mama's favorite cooking. And you're just sharing that with whoever you're with, not so that they could go out and get it, but so they can understand what you was going through because you had that level of relationship, transparency. And so David, fighting against the Philistines, Is feeling this and he expresses it to his man, and they're 10 miles away and they say, Okay, I got you. Let's go get that water. So, what the Philistines are right there, we're gonna get that water for King David. And what happens? They go, they get that water, and they bring it back. And in bringing back that water, what does David do? He says, I am not worthy. Of a sacrifice as such. You see we look at that and we say David you just, you just wasted this water that they went 20 miles to get. Poured it out they risked their lives. And what David says is I am not worthy enough for you to risk your life. Because he understood that his desires were not greater than the lives of his men. Because David respected them. David loved them. Because he knew that just because he was a king didn't mean that these men were at his disposal for his benefit. Good point. They were actually there to help him be who God called him to be. And so what appears to be a sign of disrespect for us is actually the ultimate sign of respect. It's almost as if somebody said, Man, man, I'm broken. I can't pay my rent. And you say, here you go. And they say, no, I'm not going to take it because I know how hard you work for your money and I'm going to get me some money. I got a check coming in tomorrow. I'm not going to just use you because I can. I'm not going to use you just because you allow me to. I respect you enough to decline what you're going to give me or utilize it for the honor of God. Because that's the level of relationship that we should have with each other. We're not in relationship to use each other. We're in relationship to build each other up, to deepen each other's faith, to let each other know that I'm here with you and I have love enough to go out and get what you want, but also I have respect enough not to even ask you to do it. That's how we build each other up. I love you enough to do whatever it is that you need, And you respect me enough not to ask me to do it unless you really, really need it. Make sense? It's interesting. Because with that understanding, we see that David has some interesting names on this list. What God had brought to David was people not just from Judah... But dare I say, even outside of the tribes of Israel. Look at verse 38. Era and Gerab, they're from Ithrites. They're mm-hmm. <laughs> Try to say that three times fast. <laughs> Ithrite. <laughs> yeah, Ithrites. <laughs> Zealek, in verse number 37, where is he from? He's an Ammonite. And we know that the Israelites and Ammonites had fought battles before. But yet David is Receptive enough to allow these people who are not Israelites to come into his camp. And God has saw fit to add these amongst the mighty men of David. And then you get somebody like Ittai, who is a Benjamite. And when you read that, it should jump out to you. You say, why? Because David was fighting against the tribe of Benjamin to get the kingdom. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, and when Saul died, the Benjamites and the, the Judahites had problems because they were trying to establish the next king. And what happens? David becomes king, and he still sees fit to have somebody from the tribe of Benjamin in his army. And God saw fit to make him worthy enough to be his mighty man. And what am I saying? Is that people can have benefit to you, to the kingdom of God, no matter where they come from. No matter where we start off at in relationship, we could be fighting against each other and come to an understanding that this is God's will, that this is God's way, and decide to put aside our humanly, our earthly differences and fight together for the cause of God and have some great benefit in each other's lives. And that's what we see witnessed here. Because God brought them together. Because David didn't allow himself to value a person based on who they were, where they came from. But he recognized if God brings you to me and we working together, I'm not going to hold you to your past sins. I'm not gonna define you by who you was. I'm going to allow yourself to define you by what you do with me right now. You see, that's what happens when we're not judgmental. That's what happens when we can forgive. In this world, we need that more so we can all be about the business of God and work in his kingdom to uplift it. Cause ain't no telling who God's gonna bring into our midst, into our company. And if we're judging people based on where they're from, we'll probably never see where they'll go with God working in their lives, in our lives together. And so we consider we're not to deny relationship if God has created it, But also we see another interesting name, which is Abishai. And in reading 2 Samuel, we read 2 Samuel, and how long of the span of David's life does this cover? I would say almost all of it. We get introduced to David when he's a little boy. I don't know how little, but he's a boy, shepherd. He gets called to go and be anointed as king. And then you get all the way to to this part, and it's talking about David's about to die. And then we hear this name, Abishai. David was king over all of Israel for 33 years. Abishai died while he was still fighting the house of Benjamin. So Abishai didn't see any of David's reign over the whole united Israel. But what does the Bible say? Abishai was one of David's mighty men. You see, a person doesn't have to be in your life for a long time to have a great impact For God on you. There's a saying. Some people in your life for a reason. Some people in your life for a season. Either way, if you're wise enough, you can determine a person's purpose in your life. And if God has put them in your life, they could be very beneficial to you. Just think of how transient America is. People move from city to city, place to place because of job, because of school, just because they're creating a new, something new in their lives. And we're impacted greatly by some people who just come in our lives for a short period of time. We can't write them off. Dare I say if I left Memphis and started preaching somewhere else, I've only been here since Six, seven years. I would hope that the impact that I left behind would have had somebody in here to say, you know what? Femi had great impact on my life. Think of Gerard. He ain't been here in a while, but he had great impact on this church. And while I'm not God, I'm going to say we hope to live well, another 20, 30 years, right? And we planned for him to preach over in Oklahoma for another 20, 30 years. And you start looking towards that 30, 40 years away, you're like, I ain't talked to him in a while, but he had impact on me because the times that we shared together was meaningful. It was purposeful. And we did something that grew us faithfully for the benefit of God. Now just think, if you can have an impact with somebody and it's not determined by the length of time, how hard should we work? How dutifully should we be in each other's life? And what impact would that have for the congregation, wherever we worship at, if we made it our goal to leave an imprint in everybody who God placed us in relationship with? So if you leave tomorrow they would say I'm benefited from knowing you Abishai gives us an example of this it's not about the length of time but what you do with that time that can have an impact for somebody and then as we look at Abishai and as we consider how David was mindful of the fact that I'm not gonna abuse and use these three men's for my benefit we recognize with people. Sometimes we make bad decisions, right? Sometimes we don't recognize a person's worth. And we do things that put them in a bad place. But God sees that and he says, you know what? That person was a benefit to you. Maybe because the lesson you learned from that interaction with that person. Maybe because you changed as a result of having that interaction with them. And then you see the last person on this list is Uriah the Hittite. And we know the story of David. We know who Uriah was. That was the husband of Bathsheba that David had killed. But God, through Holy Scripture, shows us that Uriah the Hittite was a mighty man for David. I don't know, David, well, it does show us that David was Accepting of the punishment that he received because of what he did to Uriah. So I believe David grew from that. And that had an impact on David for the purpose of God, even though David didn't respect Uriah enough to one, not sleep with his wife. And two, to let the man live. He didn't do nothing. (laughs) But he showed great faith towards God's people. Uriah the Hittite, David, go home. No, nah, I'm not gonna go home when my commander's out in the army and my fellow soldiers are fighting. My wife might be pretty, but she's, she's not worth the trip home because I understand that we're still in this struggle together. He was willing to exemplify to David the commitment that David should have had to him. And so sometimes a person that we do not respect enough to give them the same respect that they're giving us when we learn from the interaction with them can have great benefit on us. We people, we all make mistakes. If we were to just sit here and just think, probably not even that long, we would come across in our minds somebody that we just treated wrong, and we grew from it because we recognized the error in our ways, and we didn't commit that sin no more. Hopefully, or if you think about that person and you know you did them wrong, and you ain't repented, now's a perfect time. Change your ways. Uriah the Hittite gives us insight into that, and then as we think. There's another name that keeps getting referenced, but he's not counted as one of the mighty men of David. And that's Joab. Joab did a whole lot for David. Joab goes up and he gets Jerusalem, the city to where David will make the, uh, put the temple at to be the capital of his kingdom. Joab kills Absalom, who has this revolt. Even though David said, Don't kill him, he's like, Man, this dude ran us up out of Israel. <laughs> I don't care if that's your son. <laughs> he's not good news for us. David told David, I mean, Joab told David when he numbered the Israelites that what you're doing is wrong. Because God can help us no matter how many people we got. But when David was going to die, David told Solomon don't let Joab's hoary head go down in peace. Why? Because David knew all Israel knew that Joab murdered Abner and Amasa in times of peace. And he had brought innocent blood on Israel. And while he did all of this good that sin that he did just couldn't be forgiven because he went out and took vengeance in his own hand. And he killed, as David said, a man greater than him. And so some relationship that we have, while we might get benefited from it from time to time, while that might tell us what we need to hear at difficult times, they're not ones where God is saying that they were a mighty person for you. And that person might be in your life for a long time. David's there until, I mean, Joab is there to the end. But David tells his son, don't let him die in peace. Because there was something about Joab that just wasn't quite right. And we know that we have relationships with some people that we get some benefit from, but that person is just not quite right. And we have to recognize that or we'll fool ourselves. We might even start to participate in some of the foolishness that they do. There was something about them, sons of Zeruiah, David's nephews, that there was a little bit too hard for even David, the man of blood, that he just couldn't quite rock with all the way. You sons of Zeruiah. And Joab, I believe, was the eldest one. And there were some hard men. And they did some things that were probably questionable. Abishai, his brother, was beneficial to David. Joab, not counted amongst the mighty men. And I believe that's for a reason. And so as we think about what we gain from this, I just want to put a few things on your mind. I touched them already. But if you're going to write something down, a few points. First one is, God is going to judge our relationships and he's the one that assesses it. So let's listen to these mighty men. This is from God's point of view. God is going to judge the relationships we're in and he determines who was and was not a benefit in our lives. Now we have a little bit of wisdom. We can determine whom we spend time with. And so if we can do that, we should look to spend time with people who have like faith, like-minded, the same goals as us. And hopefully that's building up God's kingdom. Because we're going to be in relationship with somebody. That relationship could be with somebody who has a spiritual disease like coronavirus. And if you catch it, you caught it. Or that relationship could be as somebody like a dodo who's going to be out there and fight hundreds of people at the same time. And not worry if anybody's with them because they know that God will give them the victory. And you have the like faith. And just imagine what two people could have did. They caught it probably took on the whole troop because of are faith in God. And if we're thinking, knowing, understanding, realizing that God's judging our relationships and he assesses them, we should be open to relationships that God puts us in context in, regardless of a person's origin. Think of where you started from. Some of us are ashamed of who we were before we became Christians. Some of us wouldn't dare tell our fellow brothers and sisters the depth of the depravity that we had before we came to Christ. But being that we're in Christ, we're a changed person and we're not the same one that we were before we went in this water. And being that we changed, we should recognize that others changed too. So we shouldn't judge, hold a person to who they were before God started working on them. But we should say, if God has put us in relationship, let us utilize this relationship to build each other up for the glory of the kingdom. And that's even if somebody has slighted you in the past, forgive them like the Benjamites. If somebody's from another culture, another race, another town, another country, include them into your circle like David did the Ammonites, Ithrites. Because you don't know what God would do in that relationship if you let it be guided by God. And as you're doing that, don't use people for their perceived benefit. Because we're all equal. We just play different roles before God. Some of us preach, some of us elders, some deacons, some don't have official title status in the church but to do a whole lot of work. And it doesn't matter the title you put on yourself. What matters is what are you willing to do for God? And when we recognize that somebody's willing to do something for God, we don't try to take advantage of them because we know that they have a heart too. Because there's a lot of people in this world who are looking to get over on people. Such shouldn't be the case in the church. On the flip side of that, we should be open enough to do whatever it is that'll help our brother and sister. Trusting that God will provide us with that water from Bethlehem so that we could bring it back even if it costs us a lot and pray that a person respects us enough not to just take advantage of us a person's benefit is not defined by the length of time that they're in our life rather their benefit is defined by the depth of that relationship so don't just say "Oh, they only going to be here for a week I don't need to get to know them but really look at each other and say how can we help each other grow and be what God has called us all to be now I understand we're not going to be able to build the same level of relationship with everybody but the ones we do build with build for real And don't just keep it surface. Because that person might be able to help you and you might be able to help them accomplish what God is calling y'all both to accomplish. But you'll never know if you never go below the waterline. And the last thing I want us to leave on our mind is not everybody that we're in relationship is a benefit for us. And I say that because we have a lot of relationships, especially outside of, our Christian calling. And at times, we put more efforts into those relationships than we do into the ones that are in Christ. And at times, those relationships drive us away from who God is calling us to be. We was looking at James 4 in Bible class this morning at Earl, and one of the passages in there says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. You see, a lot of time we put focus on being friends with people in the world. And it's putting us in a bad place. So we do all of this to fit in. So we get accepted. So we get liked. And we don't put that same effort into the church. Because we say that I don't fit in there. I haven't found anybody I could relate to. Because I spend so much time at work. Because these people have so much in common with me. I could be myself. I could let my hair down. When in reality, God is calling us to tie it up. He's calling us to not be ourselves, to be like Christ. He's calling us not to be comfortable in the world, but to be conformable to his son. And these relationships that are outside in the world that just naturally we we, we motivate ourselves to because we're from... The flesh, we should be doing everything that we can to get up out of them. And so we recognize that not all relationships are beneficial. Even family members. Joab, David's nephew, was encountered as a mighty man. Some of us have family members that have denied Christ, that would never hear us about scripture. You have to live with that. But don't get so enmeshed with them that you put that relationship over your one with God. And so what I just wanted to put on your mind today was we're going to be in relationships. And there is a threat that if you get in relationship with the wrong people, it can be very deadly for you spiritually. It's on our mind today because people are Cautious, they don't want to come in contact with others, so they elbow bumping, they're canceling games at arenas, they're staying home, shutting down factories, because the world recognizes that sometimes in relationships with people with large numbers, something deadly can be in that mist and cause us all to lose our lives. For Christians, that sin, and that can come from the influence of one person. But if we're mindful of the relationships that God has put us in, we could build each other up and we could build God's kingdom up and glorify him and not be so worried about who we are, but what we're doing for the one who died for us. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son Jesus to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in Scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local Church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.